Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to this week's Man in the Post Extra Time. Um, my name's Chris. With me this week, I have got Jesse. Hello. How are you? I am fine. Yeah? You've come forwards in time as well. You're already four hours behind us this week, aren't you? For another day. Yeah. You're in the future. I, well, you, you're in the future. Yes. You're just not as in the past as you normally are. That, that has so many connotations that are very real. <laughs> we got Jared, how are you? Good, it's nice to be back. Been Good, back man. been a long time. Been a few weeks, hasn't it? Yeah. Uh, and speaking of being a few weeks on the, uh, on the injury layoff, we've got Sick Note Andy, how are you? I was going to say I'm very well, but that doesn't really fit with the name Sick Note, so I'll just say <laughs> I am. I'm, 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 I'm all right, honest. Oh, oh. I listened to a clip from a podcast today. It was Gordon Strachan talking about Alex Ferguson's time at Aberdeen. Um, and Alex Ferguson's way of sorting the injured from the not very injured was if a player reported on Monday morning after a match uh, and said that they were injured, um, Fergie would make them go run in the North Sea because uh, he thought that that was... Well, he, he told them he believed it had magical healing powers of the power of water and stuff. So... Do you want to go for a run in the North Sea, Andy? I have literally never heard the words the healing powers of the North Sea in my life. <laughs> Particularly that's, next to Aberdeen. That's, that's just not a thing. <laughs> um, the, the murdering powers of the North Sea, maybe. <laughs> I, I, could, I could picture that. You know, if, you, if you've had enough of life, just go and take a wee wander into it. <laughs> healing powers, very much not. Is the, is the healing powers of the um, Aberdeen Spa not sort of made its way to, to you the tales of it again that's just that's just have you ever been to Aberdeen that's just not a thing my it's ancestors the it's the greatest city I've ever been in in my life my family come from Aberdeen originally going back through the McGenerations I've, I've I must admit my experience of being in Aberdeen is limited but the first time I ever went there it was like um, you know how in the Wizard of Oz when it goes from black and white to colour <laughs> going to Aberdeen, coming out of the Aberdeen train station was almost the exact opposite. It was like I'd been sitting reading things on the, the train and it was like full colour and all that and I came out and I, I thought I'd stepped into like a Laurel and Hardy film. <laughs> bit brutalist there, is it? Just a bit. <laughs> okay, so this week we're going to talk about the Champions League, uh, other bits and bobs of leads around Europe and around the world, um, news and the Premier League is here for its penultimate round of matches before the World Cup. So we will start in Group D of the Champions League uh, on Tuesday night. Marseille 1, Spurs 2. Uh, Chancellor and Bemba scored and took the lead for Spurs. They were um, 
1-0 uh, down at half time and heading out of the competition. Uh, goals from Clement Longley and then the 95th minute. Hoiberg uh, uh, scores and um, in the 95th minute and wins the group for Spurs. Um, Marseille were on the break and Eagle Tudor was um, on the pitch trying to sort of gesticulate to his players but uh, uh, to no avail. Um, and Marseille unfortunately finished bottom of the group. So at various points during this evening or during the course of Tuesday night I think there were seven changes to the table um, and with um, with Sporting losing 2-1 at home to uh, Freiburg after sorry Frankfurt after uh, Sebastian Kwati's handball Jesse um, the group finishes with Spurs on 11 points um, Sporting on 10 uh, sorry Frankfurt on 10 Sporting 7 um, and Marseille on 6 so Jesse did you watch the Spurs game? I did. I also, I'm just going to commend you for making my team winning in the 95th minute somehow upsetting because of that Coates hit. Like, <laughs> that was a, that was beautifully done. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. It hurt me too because he's a Liverpool legend, of course. Sebastian Coates? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Do do it, then? I know, I know. I'm a bad person. That's why. Uh, so, um, how are you feeling when Marseille scored? Did you sort of throw your hands in the air and think, "Here we go again"? We played like trash. Um, it was terrible. I was also convinced that they were going to bring Sun Heung-min back on the pitch after he broke his cheekbone. Um, so many bad things happened, but. Emil Hoiberg is, as everybody knows, a Viking god and never stops playing. Yeah. Until the 95th and a half minute. Um, did we deserve that win? No, friends. No, we didn't. Am I really happy for it? Yes, yes, I am. Back in the day on the podcast that I stole you from, uh, I remember you talking on there once about watching Uruguay play. Uh, you watch him in a bar, and I think you said you had to take three Valium or something like that just to be calm. Um, I don't know, but you had to take three of a particular kind of tablet, you said, just to sort of remain calm and watch it because it was a highly stressful game. So were you at that sort of level uh, for the most part of watching this? No, honestly, with Spurs, I've been just like resigned. And I'm also at the part of the year where the only thing I'm hysterical about is injuries. Like, I, please, God, don't let any of my players get more hurt. <laughs> um, so, which I know they will. Like, I, I need, like, a constant, I need, like, 17 screens monitoring every Uruguayan on every pitch in every league because now it's, like, down to the wire and everybody's overplayed and I don't give a shit what the results are as long as like everybody's ligaments and tendons and muscles hold out. Yeah, so we're getting to the point of the season. So we're coming up to the penultimate round of Premier League matches. We're getting to the point in the season where even just a niggly injury sort of keeps you out for three weeks is fatal for your World Cup hopes, isn't it? So, I mean, someone, yeah, someone can get a stomach virus and they're out. Yeah, exactly. So um, watching this, you, you were sort of, your stress levels were where? Did you, did you sort of think that's it, we're out for the most part? Or did you think, don't worry, we'll come back oh, because yeah. we always do terrible in the first half and well in the second? No, I, no. We, there was nothing in that first half to, to suggest that we were going to come back. Hmm. Um, the, I mean, holes upon holes everywhere. Um, 
Harry Kane looked frustrated. Son, I mean, that was that was such a say such a blow literally physically <laughs> um and loris was sort of doing that like oh any moment he's gonna do one of his you know weird decisions that he does every so often that he mm. decides he's actually like a forward in disguise um so i yeah i really i had no expectations okay j- that, oh. that was that was spectacular that was lovely wasn't it he doesn't seem the sort of player that ever sort of places the ball. He just seems to be a sort of player that just thumps the football as hard as he can. I, I think, and but the thing about, I mean, he's always, I think his awareness is what makes him such a good player because mm. he's never, he never turns off. And, and that's what makes him such a good defender. But also it makes him so, um, when he scores that, you know, those rare goals, it's because he's always in the right place at the right time to thump it in. Yes. Um, Jared and Andy, did either of you see this? No, I haven't. But um, no. I, I, I saw the the group changing, obviously, and it's it. I th- this is what I like about this sort of stage in the the group stage, where every game is is basically knockouts across all the groups. Mm. I, th- I think that that that's something that you don't always get in every group, and it made this one quite enjoyable, even though you know there was no huge name in there other than Tottenham. It, it's still good to see the the challenge for the for the top two places. Yeah. So uh, last week when Adam was on, he said that he, he can imagine, or he talked to a friend and he said he imagined thirteen of the sixteen teams that would get through. Um, but it was uh, it was sort of quite intense in this group. It was everyone at some point was through, weren't they? I mean, Marseille by losing, uh, their goal difference was zero compared to minus one. Marseille by losing in like ninety fifth minute cost themselves a place in the Europa League. So. There was um, there was something on for everybody until the very last kick of the game. Yeah, yeah, and I think Sporting and Marseille were both once going through to the knockouts and then got got out. So yeah, it's just you you couldn't really take your eyes off this. Yes, uh, in Group A um, in Liverpool, it was Liverpool two, Napoli nil goals from Mo Salah and um, Darwin Nunes. Um, we had to wait quite some time to the 85th and the 98th minute. Liverpool win, but not by enough to go top of the group above Napoli. Um, Napoli had their chances. Leo Ostergaard had a header disallowed by VAR at 0-0. Um, anybody see this one at all? No, but you can tell us all the nice things about Nunez. Well, he's really, really, really fast. Um, someone clocked him at 38 kilometres an hour the other day. Yeah. That's ridiculous. <laughs> If you did that up my road, you'd get a parking fine. Uh, not parking <laughs> fine, a speed fine, sorry. <laughs> um, so, yeah, to be fair to him, he's had his lot of critics because he had his little goal drought after he scored the first week of the season. And then he seems to be coming back. I know it was like the, only the 98th minute he scored in, so the game was more or less done. But every little sort of tiny thing he does well is a build-up to his confidence. So I'm not worried about the amount of money we spent on him because I've still got a feeling he's going to just keep going up bit by bit and getting that bit better do you just not want him to hurt himself for the next week I do not I do not <laughs> see that Suar, he, he did an interview where he said Suarez called him and told him not to be an idiot like he was <laughs> um, does he um, does he start for Uruguay in the system he has in the last in the last year he's he's started on and off or subbed on yeah yeah okay um anyone see this at all as well no 
No. No. Well, Andy, we're going to come to the main event, the record-breaking main event. Um, Rangers won Ajax 5. Uh, kudos to Kudos, as he scored, uh, as did Francisco Conceição after he was um, sold by his dad, Sergio, in the summer. Um, Rangers minus 20 goal difference. That's the worst team in the Champions League. Um, but that's not too bad an effort for a team for, who's playing in the Champions League for the first time, is it, Andy? How long can I prolong this silence? <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, I'll bite. What is a Champions League? <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm very confused as to what we're talking about here. No, um, first things first. It was it was Ajax three. Get it right. I know we've conceded five in this group. Oh, do you know what? On, Sorry, get it right. I couldn't read my handwriting. Sorry, do apologise. Yeah, it's. Uh, I'm, I'm reluctant. Take, uh, this is going to seem a wee bit what about I don't mean it to be I think it's more just it's, it's something that needs to be discussed I mean if you bring Celtic into the equation uh, whilst I fully accept that they were they acquitted themselves far better during this group stage than Rangers did the fact is Rangers two, uh, Scotland's biggest two teams have come out with two points out of a combined 36 and a combined goal difference of minus 31. Um, it shows just how far away from from that level we are. Um, I have absolutely no idea, having watched PSV thrash Arsenal uh, the other week, how we got past them in the first place. I'm assuming we just caught them cold at the start of the season. Um Mitigating circumstances for this game against Ajax are starting centre-backs where a 17-year-old and a guy who's also only 21-year-old and is probably more a defensive midfielder than a centre-back. We were always going to leave gaps. Um, it's, just a, it's just a hugely disappointing campaign all round. Um I have concerns about Giovanni Van Bronckhurst now going forward that I, I didn't at the start of this campaign, and it, it's easy to say that in hindsight when we lost all six games, but as much as I think Gio is, is still a tactical step up from where we were under Steven Gerrard, I also don't think a Steven Gerrard team would have lost any of the games by as much as we did because they'd have given the teams a rocket at half-time. The BBC That's said just the home... GVB's style. Yeah, sorry. The, the, the BBC said that the home fans were booing. Yeah, they were. And it, it's it's not difficult to understand why. I mean, there was not absolutely nothing to play for in uh, in this group other than avoiding this record. Um, you could argue we've played maybe two reasonable halves of football in the entire group stage. The first half against Liverpool at Ibrox second half arguably against Ajax this week um yeah it's just it's it's hugely it's hugely disappointing but also if you kind of widen out the scope and and look at it in the grand scheme of things it's also entirely predictable and you know it's it's probably just a wake-up call for for Scottish football as a whole as much as anything else because obviously Hearts didn't get out their conference league group you know Dundee United had lost 7-0 to AZ Alkmaar um, 
earlier on in the season were, were still a very, very long way away uh, from from where we need to be, uh, as uh, certainly in terms of club football. So I've seen lots of people say this week about re- it sort of shows the resources available to Scottish teams when the two biggest teams in the league put on a performance like this. And although to some extent I buy that, you look at the performances of some of the other teams in the Champions League this season. So Dinamo Zagreb got four points in a gate in a group with uh, Chelsea and Milan, um, and then Maccabi Haifa got three points in a group with PSG and Juve. Last season, Sheriff beat Inter and Real Madrid. Is that too easy a cop out? Is it to say you've not got the resources? No, I don't. No, I don't think it is. So yeah, I, I mean, I think there is an argument to be made about resources. I think I might have mentioned this on on the podcast previously, but you know. Rangers made it to the Europa League final last season, which was worth about 30 million quid. Mm. We sold Calvin Bassey for 20. We then qualified for the Champions League group phase, which is basically another guaranteed 30 million quid. And I think we paid a transfer fee for one player this summer. I think there's real questions to be asked to the board of where that money has gone. Mm Mm-hmm especially given Rangers' recent history of, of money kind of disappearing into directors' back pockets and so on. On the wider issue of resources, no, I, I think part of the problem here is that Rangers and Celtic fans, I think, see the club as clubs as bigger than they are. So Dinamo Zagreb and the likes and Sheriff get points because they they understand the limitations and they play accordingly. Rangers and Celtic fans don't let their, t- their teams do that. It doesn't matter if we're playing Real Madrid or anybody. We're expected to go out and have a go and, and try and, and score goals. And as we've seen, we've been ripped apart as a result of it. Celtic, like I said, <coughs> excuse me, um, definitely played better created, my mate who's a Celtic fan sent me some ridiculous statistic but it was like Celtic had 83 shots in goal uh, in the group stage so I mean it's clear that they've got they can create chances maybe not necessarily finish them but similarly there you know if, if Celtic had played a slightly different style and maybe tried to dig in a bit more could they have got enough points to at least finish third? Yeah, I think they probably could. But it's just that it's the expectation. Because Rangers and Celtic in terms of fan base and, and stadiums and so on are two of the biggest clubs in the UK, two of the bigger clubs in, in Europe. But in reality, we're playing in... Realistically, a, maybe a top 10 league in Europe. Uh, and we need to start recognizing that i think mm. okay yeah that's really interesting um i'm glad you spoke there i'll let you have yourself a little drink there um what else we got group b uh, oh sorry jared and jesse um either of you want to talk about rangers or liverpool uh something on, on napoli mm. I, I, I don't know if they could be um a shock to the potential winners of the champions league i mean they look really good in this group yeah and I, th- I think they've scored the most goals as well yeah. in um in in the group stage of of any any team. So it's just it'd be interesting to keep an eye on them as that's, they they look quite good at these um in in the Champions League. And I wonder whether it'll translate to knockout. 
Yeah, but I guess they've got to maintain a title challenge as well, haven't they? Yeah, yeah, and it definitely it's, it's it's different when it's knockout, and yeah, you can score as many goals, but you've also got to keep it tight at the back, which there's probably some better teams across Europe who can do that, so hmm. it, it'll be interesting. Okay, uh, Group B, uh, Balavkusen nil, Club Brugge nil, um, and Porto two, Atletico Madrid one. So uh, they've won four out of twelve in all competitions of Atletico, and they're nine points behind um, leaders Real in the lead. Uh, Medi Teremi keeps scoring for Porto. He's um, he's a hugely important player for Porto, and he's going to be a hugely important player for uh, Iran at the upcoming World Cup as well. So I, I really really like the look of him. Uh, so that group finishes with Porto twelve points, then Brugge on second on eleven, Balakusen five, and Atletico on five. Um, Bruges probably ruined. The fact that they didn't finish top, they didn't win any of their final three games. So probably if they'd done something a little bit different, they could have um, they could have finished on top there. Uh, group C: Victoria Pilsen two, uh, Barcelona four. Um, goals from Marcus Alonso, Ferran Torres uh, with two of them, and uh, Torre with uh, with one as well. Jesse, some a little statistic for you here: um, Victoria Pilsen uh, had twenty three percent possession, but managed twenty three shots. Um, what are Barcelona doing at the back? Is that because they're playing PK and um, Alonso as a centre half pairing? That seems a it seems a very strange possession to shot ratio there, doesn't it? Uh, why? Wait a second. We have stats professional Jared on here. Why? <laughs> I feel bad this because I didn't is... com- I didn't come to you in the last games, so I thought I'd come to you with this one. <laughs> uh, this just. This is mean to both of us. <laughs> Sorry, it wasn't supposed to be. I was supposed to try to give everybody a fair cha- a fair chance of talking. Absolutely not. This is not fair. All I'm going to tell you is that I expected nothing better from this season's Barca, especially without Adelco and the way they've been playing. And that is nothing. That's not stats based at all. No. Okay. Fair enough. Charo, I'll come to you as the, as the uh, stats man. Go on. Can you explain that one away? I think that's going to be more to. Not, not the person. Well, the personnel will have a, a difference, but I'd say it's more the play style of Barca. It's Victoria Pilsen probably tried to just catch them on the break, and I think that's where a lot of the teams at the moment in Europe who dominate the game are, are easy to catch. Mm. So if you can, I mean, the Barcelona intergame, I think they conceded two goals there from from breaks and transitions, and I think that's where most likely a lot of these shots would have come from, or just also aerially if victoria appeals and they obviously they didn't have much possession but if you can get be direct and attack this back line as you pk and alonso probably don't have the pace that you'd you'd want if you're leaving them too back uh that's probably how they caught them okay yeah that's that's um, that's interesting uh and also in that group by munich two into neil benjamin pavard and uh chief moateng who's been linked with manchester united this week so that group finishes by and top on uh, maximum points then inter on 10 points barter seven victoria pills and port at the bottom there with uh with nilpois um on wednesday night group g manchester city three severe one um Rico Lewis, 17-year-old Rico Lewis, um, Andy, who would never have seen the Invincibles of Arsenal at first hand because he was born in November 2004. Uh. <laughs> Thanks for depressing me with that. I, that's, that's really great. I hate him already. If you wanna, um. <laughs> there was a guy playing for um, West Ham in the Europa League that was never would never have seen the miracle of Istanbul in May 2005 either. Oh, that's okay. I'm sure there'll be plenty of people who'll tell me about that at length. <laughs> that's not an issue. 
Fair enough. Um, yeah, okay. Did uh, did anyone see this game at all? Yeah, I, I, I saw the highlights of this one. I've got to say, I thought Rico Lewis took his goal very well. Yeah, he did. Um, you could maybe make an argument about Bono's, um positioning uh, on it, but that doesn't change the fact that he, he placed it exactly where he wanted to. It was a good goal. Um, yeah, that was comfortable enough for City. Um, Sevilla not obviously quite the, the threat in Europe, maybe that they have been in previous seasons, but yeah, there, there was uh, City did what they needed to do. Alvarez looks like a phenomenal prospect. He One goal and two assists here, but that touch he took to take the ball around the keeper because it must have been tempting for him to sort of kind of hit it first time as it came to him, but to have the forethought to take that extra tap around the keeper, he looks like he's going to be a huge prospect, doesn't he? Yeah, he's... he's uh, I think there's, there was maybe an assumption that because he came directly from South America that he might be, be struck by the curse, but I think City are kind of phasing him in the right way mm. which I think is an issue a lot of the times with, with South American players coming directly over um, if, if any club in Europe is going to get the best out of Alvarez I would imagine it would be it would be City Yeah, remember Marlos Moreno coming over Jesse to Man City and not really doing very much I mean I, I think I read somebody and it was somebody pretty well known but i can't remember who was saying the same thing about alexi sanchez and getting a whole bunch of shit so um i think there are things to be said about many of these players um depending on how you qualify their actions and what side you're on hmm. um manchester city unbeaten in 23 uh the Etihad in the um, in Europe and in the Champions League. Also in that group, Copenhagen finally got themselves a goal. Uh, they were very pleased about that. So they drew 1-1 with Dortmund. Um, Haraldsson scored for Copenhagen um, in front of a packed crowd. And Torgan Hazard for uh, Dortmund. So that leaves Manchester City top of 14 points. Dortmund on 9, Sevilla on 5, uh, Copenhagen on 3. In Group E, Chelsea beat Dinamo 2-1. Goals from Sterling and Zakaria, who I thought was a youth prospect from the Chelsea production line. Uh, turns out he's unknown from Juventus. Did anyone else realise that? Yeah, it, it was... Uh, I'm fairly certain Juventus only signed them last season. He had a, pretty, he had a few uh, very good seasons by all account for, I think it was Munchen Gladbach. Hmm. Yeah, um, so, yeah, he's, he's, he's a good player. The impression I got, the impression I get is that he hasn't settled terribly well at Chelsea. Uh, in fact, I think there was even maybe talking him going back to Juventus in January, but you know maybe that's all. Maybe that's all kind of kickstart his his run. Yeah, I guess so because I, I imagine he was signed by Tuchel and then he's gone and Potter's come in, so yeah. must be a bit different. So Dinamo took the lead in this one. Um, Abamyang hit the bar. Uh, ben Chilwell went close before he went off injured. Um, Jared and Jesse, did either of you see this? Yes. And what did you make of it? There was so much football this week, which is a delight. <laughs> but it also means that what did I think of this? <laughs> Napoleon had a phrase, which was, he who defends everything defends nothing. So I guess in football oh. parlance, he who watches everything watches nothing. <laughs> or she, or in your I case. Was, just, was I just in the moment? Um, oh, no. I should have taken notes. <laughs> Jared, did you see this? Uh, no, I didn't know. No, well, left for you then, Jesse. 
I know. And I'm, now I'm trying to think if I should just say mean things to get back at Ryan for saying mean things about my team. Of course you can. He's not here to defend himself, so that's probably the best time to do it. I know, but what if they're not true? Should I just like well, should I just say them anyway? Don't say if them if they're libelous. Just just say mean also, things. Also, Jesse, this is a podcast that's primarily listened to in the United Kingdom where the truth <laughs> died about <laughs> eight years ago, so I wouldn't worry about it. This is true. Um, yeah, no. Chelsea are shit. They are the worst team. I thought you were lying. Their fans, <laughs> their fans are, you know, have really... Um, they're, they're untrustworthy. All of them or just one in particular? Probably most of them, actually. Yeah. yeah, I would say. Are you not thinking of one particular? Fan? I would never do that. I wouldn't <laughs> do that. Uh, okay, well, look, <laughs> elsewhere in that group, um, Milan 4, Red Bull Salzburg 0. Olivier Giroud, two goals and an assist too. The assist was particularly lovely to Krunic as um, the ball sort of came to the area and he could have quite easily headed the ball on goal, but he sort of decided to head the ball back uh, for Krunic to score. Um Little quiz, uh, Olivier Giroud comes the oldest player to score uh, two goals in the Champions League for Milan since... Dot, dot, dot. Ibrahimovic. No. Giardino. Uh, no. Ooh, good callback, though. It was. You're only remembering him because of that dive at Celtic Park. Uh... I forgot about that dive. Oh, sorry, whenever I think of a dive at Celtic Park, I just think of Dida. Yes. Um, and that was Milan. Yes. Uh, um, <clears throat> no, he's got a brother who's probably a bit of a better manager than he is. Is it all uh, Pippo and Zaghi? Pippo and Zaghi, Mr. Born Offside himself. Yeah, he scored uh, <laughs> two goals for Milan versus uh, Real Madrid in 2010. Uh, Group F, Real Madrid versus Celtic. Right, come on, Andy, this is a bit of therapy for you. This will make you feel better. Oh, no, don't make him do this. No, I'm sure he'd want to do this, wouldn't he? Uh. <laughs> so, so, funnily enough, I... Again, this is a, I'm just too nice a Rangers fan at this point because the first thing I did when I found out that Celtic had scored and I saw the goal and I, it was a good goal, real good free kick from Jot and he celebrated it at a point when they were all ready when they'd already conceded the five. Yeah, and I know what most Rangers fans are going to be like, you know, or they are celebrating when you're five 0 down. That, that boy's going to be able to tell his grandkids he scored a world class free kick against one of the best goalkeepers in the world and one of the best stadiums in the world against one of the best clubs in the world, I would absolutely not begrudge anybody celebrating in those circumstances. So, And, and again, it's another game where Celtic created chances. Now, to be fair, Madrid give teams chances. Um, that's, that's just kind of the, the nature of their play. Uh, and again, it maybe points to the fact that Celtic just aren't prolific enough in front of goal, but yeah, at the back, it was it was boys against men, as you would expect. And, you know, Madrid probably could have had more. Yeah, and Celtic didn't help themselves by giving away two penalties in the first 20 minutes. Oof. No, did they? No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and Josip Juranovic, um, or Juranovic, he missed a penalty. Thibaut Courtois saved that one. So, yeah, like you're saying about the best goalkeeper in the world. Uh, Carlo Ancelotti, 102 Champions League wins. That puts him level with Fergie. 
Um, he's not bad, is he? It's a, it makes it makes the Everton period just all the more bizarre because it it clearly was the work in Everton. Hmm. Uh, I think. Um, I, I mean, that could point to more systemic problems at Everton, um, but. That just seems really bizarre because literally everywhere else he has gone, he, he's made a success of it. Yep. Yep, very much so. Apart from in 2005, of course, at the uh, Champions League final. Oh, there you go. There's an example for that boy who was <laughs> born. I hope he listens to this podcast. That I'm sure that'll be the first of 500 million mentions of the miracle of Istanbul here between now and these. He's passing. <laughs> uh, okay, another quiz. At 37 years and 54 days, Luka Modric is the oldest Champions League scorer since... Dot, dot, dot. I'll give you a couple of guesses and then I'll give you a clue. It was November 2014, if that helps. You don't have to go way back in the day. Goran Pandev? No, that's a fabulous guess, though. I wish it was Goran Pandev. Was Jared alive in 2002? You don't have to answer that question. 2014, this was. 2014. That would have been 11. <laughs> it's, it's in my capabilities, right? Um, it was against CSK in Moscow. That won't help you. He's Italian. For she's a nice bit of... definitely not where my brain went after that <laughs> yeah me being the age I am I immediately went to carry on them where a player called Crumpet <laughs> Totty oh okay. Oh. okay there you go uh, and also in that group chat card uh, Neil RB Leipzig 4 Timo Werner injured himself and is out of the World Cup Jared yeah I mean I, I feel like he always plays better for Germany than he does for club. And he sort of, he adds that something different that we don't have many of at Germany. So I, he will be missed. And he is usually one of the regulars in the squad. Is it enough to make you cheer for England at the World Cup? Uh, no. <laughs> but I do have a list of um, players that I will actually be missing the World Cup. Oh, because well, of injury. Um, yeah, go on then. Yeah, so I've got the, the players that are confirmed out yep you've got Emil Smith-Rowe mm-hmm. N'Golo Kante Pogba Werner of course Wijnaldum Neto and, and Jota okay so I think for that France I think they're missing out a lot in midfield there mm. Kante and Pogba usually are the, the staples of that midfield and then um, I've got an at, at risk one got loads of at risks Di Maria Dybala Richarlison Lukaku Simon Kier, um, Christensen, Rhys James, Carl Walker, Calvin Phillips, Chilwell. I mean, most of these are just English, to be honest. Mm. Fafana, Hernandez, uh, Lucas Hernandez, Maynard, Varane, Kunde, Kamara, Sane, Depay, Son, Nuno Mendes, Pepe, Gerard Moreno, Reguillon, and Aritza Bar. <gasps> Jesse, he didn't say Araujo. I mean, both Cavani and Araujo have apparently started training again, but um, 
It's going to be touch and go, and Arambari is out for us as well. Oh dear. Jared, that's quite a lengthy list, that is, isn't it? Some teams are going to be missing some excellent players or key players for them. I think, yeah, it seems like the biggest team to to miss to potentially miss quite a lot is is England and is England with especially at the back. I mean, usually spoiled for choice of fullbacks, but it seems like a lot of them could could get could be injured, and you know, it. I mean, there, there's plenty of options. To, to take over for England hmm. but in terms of the experience that you've had from the other successes it it, it might be difficult to replicate Andy Robertson's played down here long enough to become assimilated as an Englishman hasn't he Andy? Never <laughs> ask Andy Robertson that question he'll chin you <laughs> Uh, finally, in the Champions League Group H, um, Juventus won PSG two. Benucci scored for Juventus, but Mbappe. And then you said Nuno Mendes. He scored with his first touch when he came on, Jared. Yeah, he's he's on the list, but okay, he must have hurt himself for this game. I, I do really like him. He's um, I mean, again, you know, if he's got an English passport somewhere, that would be um, that would be fantastic. He's a very good player, isn't he? Um, to, I, to be honest, I haven't really seen seen too much of him, but. I've... I've, from from what I've heard, he, he is a very good player. Yeah. Um, PSG were 2-0 up. Um, Juventus had a few chances via Locatelli. Indeed, they had 15 shots compared to PSG's seven. Um, PSG winning, though, doesn't give them top spot because Benfica uh, beat Maccabi Haifa 6-1. Um, some lovely goals in this one, especially João Mario's at the end. They scored four goals in the last 21 minutes, meaning they topped the group because they got a better head-to-head versus PSG with goals difference, goals scored as well. Um and uh, PSG did drop points to them uh, at the Stade de France as well. So I think when João Mario scored, I don't know if anyone's seen this, but when João Mario scored the sixth goal, he had a little sort of sneaky look over to the, um, the subs bench to see if he'd done it. So um, I'm quite pleased for them getting tops. They finished top on 14 points, same as PSG, and Juve and Maccabi Haifa on three. So, yeah. I think they went through on um, away goals, actually, because they drew both times to PSG. Oh, OK. Fair enough. Oh, wait, I don't think we did away goals anymore. No, but it goes all the way because they drew on head-to-head goals, oh, okay. goals for goals against. So then it went to uh, away goals. Okay, anyone see any of those games at all? That means no. Nope. Fair enough. <laughs> uh, okay, right. So bits and bobs of leagues we'll move on to. So we'll get to domestic games coming up this weekend. So Real Madrid are top on 32 points, a point ahead of Barcelona in second place. Um, and then Atleti on 23, same as Betis. So games this weekend, it's Barca versus El Maria, um, Atleti versus Espanyol, Rava Alcano versus Real Madrid. Uh, Sunday night, it's the Seville derby, Jesse. It's Betis versus Sevilla. But that... I'm team Nabokek here on that. Are you... I've, got, I've always been Peter. Yes. Always. We know this. We yeah. do. We do. Uh, that's not the big news in Spain this week. Big news in Spain this week is, of course, Jara Piquet announcing his retirement. Gavi's mum's wore him out. Um, so I asked Emma for uh, some uh, some words on him because, obviously, she's a big uh, Barcelona fan. She's such a big fan of Barcelona. She's moved to America. Um, so she has given me some words. So she said... Um, I'm not surprised he's called it a day. His heart hasn't been in it for some time. The fans were getting on his back when he was warming up because he looked like he didn't give a shit. Uh, He's got a lot of off-field interest and, of course, his super messy personal life. It's probably for the best for him and the club, um, financially especially. The only surprising thing is the timing is so immediate. I'll miss him. He's a legend of the club. But I think he'll be back at some point running for president. Um, Jesse, what do you reckon? She said the right words there about him? I mean, Emma's always going to know 
so much more than I am, but I agree. I think that it, when your personal life becomes a distraction, mm. it's it's time to move on and do something else. And he hasn't, he has not looked either happy or engaged in the past at least two seasons. No. So, 396 games for Barcelona, eight La Liga titles, uh, seven Copa del Reyes, four Champions Leagues, one of which was for Manchester United, uh, one European Championship, one World Cup, one Premier League. He's uh, a legend, isn't he, uh, gentlemen, Jared and Andy? Yeah, he's he definitely, when you think back to the old Barcelona teams, he's one of the, one of the players you think of. Just, he, I mean, he's he's definitely got the the legend status forever in the the Champions League and with Barcelona hmm. it's always annoyed me a little bit how he's worn the number three and not a proper centre-half's number did he did he start right back or does he just I don't know sometimes sometimes you just get given it and then they stick with it yeah maybe maybe that's the case with him uh, Andy any words on um, Gerard Piquet uh, to me, he was always more of a ball player than necessarily an out-and-out central defender. It, 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 it was never the quickest, but I mean, it, it fit. You, you talk about players who fit the Barcelona system. That that was Gerard Piquet in a lot of ways. You know, so many of those those moves at the back started as a result of him finding the right pass out of defence. Um. So, yeah, it's maybe understandable that maybe he doesn't feel like he fits there anymore. I mean, even though Xavi would expect might have looked to have reintroduced that system, it it, it doesn't appear that he's gone to. Um, so, yeah, probably is the right time for him to get out. Uh, as Jesse said, as soon as your personal life starts kind of affecting that kind of thing, it's probably better to get out. You know, maybe Tom Brady should take... Uh, <laughs> follow his lead in that regard but yeah he's definitely he definitely deserves the the legend moniker yeah exactly uh okay in italy napoli atop on 32 points then is atlanta on 27 milan on 26 uh roma on 25 uh it's a good weekend in italy as well so milan plays spezia it's first versus second as uh, atlanta play napoli Sunday afternoon is Roma versus Lazio, and then rather inconveniently clashing with um, Betty Sevilla is uh, the Derby d'Italia. It is Juventus versus Inter. Uh, in Germany, Union on top on 26 points, then Bayern 25, Freiburg 24, Dortmund 22. So it's Leverkusen versus Union, Hertha versus Bayern, Dortmund versus Bochum, Freiburg versus Köln. In France, um, PSG on 35 points, then Lens on 30, Rennes on 27. So it's Lille versus Rennes, uh, Angers versus Lens, and Lorient versus PSG, and also annoyingly clashing with the Derby d'Italia and the Seville Derby is Marseille versus Lyon. Can't these leagues put their heads together and try and do something where three big games like this don't clash? That's quite annoying. What should we watch, guys? Sorry, Isn't I'm the media companies. Guess so. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm I'm kind of surprised that they're, they're putting on quite so many big games uh, this close to the World Cup, games where that are going to demand that mm. that level of intensity. I mean, I'm very much looking forward to Napoli at Atlanta because I just don't think those two teams will hold back. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, if I'm national teams who have some of those players in mind for World Cup squads, then 
I'm very concerned. And again, Marseille Leon, we all know the the animosity between those two clubs in recent seasons. Mm. Is, is that another one that ends up with, with some players missing the World Cup as a result of of the tempo? Um, yeah, I'm kind of surprised more, maybe more by that that you know the leagues involved haven't looked at those fixtures and went. No, let's just move that tape after the World Cup, or at least a month before, or something. So, yeah, I'm exactly. Not... Sorry. No, no, I just said yes, exactly. Sorry, Jesse. Go on. You, you, you say your point. I'm, I'm upset by it, but I'm not surprised by it. I think we all saw, we've all seen, um, in the you know 13 years we've all been alive, um, <laughs> how the players' health and safety is like bottom of the table compared to you know that it's monetary, and if if um, FIFA, the FAs, and you know, television can make money off of matches and and tournaments. They're going to do it, and they're going to overschedule. Um, so you know, it's it's why Infantino wants a World Cup every two years because they make more when <laughs> when they have more to show. So um, I think it's you know, it's like. Clock calling out the ridiculousness of having the World Cup now. Um, everybody should have been doing that the whole time, but I also don't think it would have made a difference. Yeah, no, I don't think, I don't think it would either. I think you're right. Um, well, seeing as you're talking, Jesse, also this weekend is the MLS Cup final, LAFC versus Philadelphia Union. What's going to happen? Yes, it is, Chris. Yes, it is. <laughs> uh, the MLS Cup final. Yes. And... Tell me all about uh, it. LAFC beat Austin, and the other team, Philly, beat NYFC. Okay. And now they play against each other, and one of them will win, and that <laughs> team will win the whole thing. Will they? They will, right? <laughs> they will. They will. They will. Are you going to be watching? And that's how MLS works. <laughs> Are you going to be watching? No, but I maybe I don't know. But I did go to see the NWSL final in person. Oh, Does that okay. Count for anything? Do yes. I get America points for that? Tell us about that then. America. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, Portland Thorns played Kansas City, and it was ridiculous because there is nobody that can beat Portland. Um, they have Olivia Moultrie, who is 16 years old, so I felt bad about myself the entire time. But they also have Becky Sauerbrunn and Bella Bixby, who's the one of the greatest um, keepers in the league, and Crystal Dunn and Christine Sinclair, Canadian superstar, and they're just the quality of the team is like undeniable. Mm. So they won. Oh, good. Yes. Fabulous. Um, I don't know if anyone has seen the Netflix documentary uh, Captains, um, but I'm going to be cheering for Philadelphia Union because one of the captains they concentrate basically they concentrate on. Uh, a uh, a national team captain from uh, each uh, each confederation, so Oceania or Concacaf or that sort of thing. And the Concacaf national team captain they concentrate on is Andre Blake, the, the Jamaican goalkeeper for Philadelphia Union. He seems very nice, but that's well worth checking out for uh, for Netflix. Um, so I think you should. Uh, uh, listeners, if you've got some spare time, go listen to that. It's the FA Cup first round this weekend. So, um, some big teams play some little teams. Ones where the little teams are away. So, is Burton versus Needham Market. 
Charlton versus Colville Town, MK Dons versus Taunton Town. Uh, ones where the little teams are at home and the league teams, the Big Brother League teams, they have a bit of a trip on their hands, a dangerous trip. Is South Shields versus Forest Green, AFC Five versus Gillingham, and Chippenham Town versus Lincoln City. Uh, we're talking about other teams in, uh, or the, we're talking about teams like um, the Derby Italia and the Rome Derby, full of intensity the weeks before the World Cup, uh, Italy and. Spain uh, and France aren't alone because in Turkey it's Galatasaray versus Besiktas. In the Netherlands it's uh, Ajax versus PSV. In Belgium it's the Battle of the Flanders. Um, Jesse, you don't want that the week before a World Cup, do you? You do not want a Flemish battle. No. Uh, Ghent versus Club Brugge. Uh, and then it's the Derby of Eternal Enemies, which again, you don't want the week before a, a World Cup. That's Panathinaikos versus Olympiakos. Um, but are you all going to be tuning in to the Vatican Super Cup? Yes, that is when the Pope plays against the nuns. <laughs> no? Huh? What, one Pope versus 11 nuns? On yeah. Channel 4. <laughs> yeah, and it's only decided when smoke goes up in one of the nets. One of the nuns? <laughs> one of the nets. <laughs> one of the nets, okay. Well, that is... is... That so we're going to get the commentary that is... Jesus saves the Pope scores the rebound. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, it's OPBG versus uh, Gendarmerie, um, which I imagine might well be some Vatican police team. So yeah, I, I can't imagine the Vatican being big enough to have a football pitch. Wait, aren't the Vatican police the Swiss National Guard? I don't know. Are they? I, I mean, I am definitely the wrong one to ask, but I think they are. Oh, well, maybe they got some Swiss ringers in their team then. Can someone do a quick Google on that one? <laughs> uh, okay, in news, FIFA has written to all 32 teams present at the World Cup telling them to, quote-unquote, focus on the football. Um, they don't want uh, distractions such as politics and uh, gender rights and blah, blah, blah to distract from the football. Harry Kane and nine others will wear the One Love armband. Uh, Denmark uh, are going to wear a faded-down kit because Hummel do not wish to be visible um, at the World Cup. Uh, their kit makers. Um, the Liberal Democrats, they're a political party in this country. Jerry? Uh, Jerry? Jesse? Jerry? Jerry? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I saw Jared. I went to talk to you and I saw Jared's name in the corner. Sorry. <laughs> Apologise for that. Um, they're a political party in this country. They have asked the players to make quote unquote a gesture of solidarity with the Iranian women. Um, so basically saying that the, the, the because England playing Iran, maybe they should do some sort of uh, protest or gesture of solidarity with the Iranian female protests. Jurgen Klopp this week is saying that it's not, or it shouldn't be upon the players to protest. Um, he, he was citing the example of when this World Cup was given uh, to Qatar back in 2010, I think it was. You know, Jude Bellingham was still been at primary school, and so would many of the other players. He said it's not on the players to demonstrate. It should have been done by other people, sort of years and years ago. It's a bit unfair asking the players to do something now. Um, do we have any sympathy for, for that point of view at all, guys? Um, yeah, I think that especially because if we're asking the players to be the only or the leading um, sort of activists or advocates, but we're also asking them to play, absolutely. It should be the leagues. Um, it should be the associations. It should fucking be... Sorry, Jared. It should fucking be <laughs> FIFA. Um <clears throat> you know taking a stand you can't you know these are first of all he's right they are very young they've been doing many of them have been doing 
their part as individuals, not here necessarily, but you know, it's it's much more effective to work together in a group. We saw that, you know, the Socceroos came out with a really well done video about the human rights conditions in Qatar. Um, but imagine now if it was like every football association or again, fucking FIFA coming out and saying like, you know what? Bad move. People are dying. Um, that would make a giant impact. You know, one player, three players coming out with a rainbow armband, armband, uh, the, the, the armband mm-hmm. is... What's that going to do? Um, especially then when you're saying to them, also do a good job leading your country in, sco- in scoring. It's it's not great. Jared, not we... that they shouldn't do anything. They absolutely should, but... <laughs> Jared, when you were a baby, do you remember the 2003 um, Cricket World Cup? No. Uh, Andy, you're Scottish. Do you remember any Cricket World Cup? <laughs> cricket? <laughs> Come on now. Andy, that is, um, it's a small bug, and when it rubs its back legs together, it makes sort of like a chirping noise. Oh, I know the MI, the 2003 World Cup, where crickets went up against each other in a, in a series of sports, right? <laughs> Landed on Maurice's face during a World Cup. So. I often hear that noise after I tell a joke. To be honest, <laughs> well, there you go. I heard a different noise. <laughs> uh, yeah, 2003 Cricket World Cup uh, was held um, in Southern Africa, South Africa, and Zimbabwe. So, um, Zimbabwean player Henry Alonga uh, wore a black armband when he played in Zimbabwe. He was saying he was commemorating the death of democracy, which is an incredibly brave thing to do. England forfeited their game uh, where they had to play in Zimbabwe. There was enormous pressure on the team from politicians in this country to not play the game. And Nasser saying the England cricket captain, said this is not fair, this pressure being put on us. Um, and I can see equivalents now with what happened then. And it, I, it's besides the point, England didn't do very well at that World Cup. But because when you're sort of talking about democracy and, you know, whatever, what does your performance of the World Cup matter but at the same time it really really overshadowed the preparations for their World Cup um, and then the days leading up to what should have been the fixture before they finally decided not to play it was a huge distraction for the players for something they shouldn't really have been involved with is is that sort of what you were getting at Jesse yeah that didn't it's exactly it yeah. Uh, well, um, some good news for some fans going to the World Cup because uh, Matt Lorden of The Times has written an article today saying some fans um, from uh, a group of fans from all 32 teams are going to be paid £60 a day. They're going to get free flights, free hotels, free tickets to games. Um, and in return, they're going to have to deliver positive messages on social media, sing certain songs um, and report any critical social media posts. Uh, 40 England fans have taken up on this offer as of 40 Welsh fans apparently including uh, four members of the England band as if any of us needed a reason to hate the England band even more um, this is pretty grim isn't it Andy oh, fuck FIFA man honestly it is. It's just, <laughs> I, I'm so exasperated they're a criminal organisation right let's just be honest here they're a mafia um, they can afford to do this because they know they're untouchable quite how they're still untouchable I don't know every so often you'll get a a fairly high level official being found guilty of corruption or something like that but that to me that's just like a 
that's almost ceremonial. It's it's not that it's actually aimed at improving things in FIFA. It's just so that they can turn around between each other and go, I look, we are we are we're paying attention to their stuff. FIFA's a, a disgrace, to be quite honest. Um it does not surprise me at all whatsoever that certain members of the England band have accepted this offer. <laughs> um yeah, again, this just points to much, much wider systemic issues in in terms of world football, and it's it's difficult to see where the positive changes are going to be made, which is is utterly depressing but entirely predictable. Yeah, oh, I mean, Infantino is supposed to be the reforming candidate after Blatter. I mean, maybe we should have elected Tokyo Sex Whale after all. He couldn't have been any worse, could he? And he had a good, better name. <laughs> Uh, also in the world of grim football, uh, Sydney United 58. Um, they were the first no, uh, non-A-League team to reach the Australian Cup final. Uh, they were fined £8,500 after some of their fans uh, displayed Nazi symbols and um, salutes at the final. Uh, in better news, Leeds have got to pay RB Leipzig £18.5 million over the transfer of Jean-Kevin Augustin. Um, the Court of Arbitration for Sport have ruled that... Um, Leeds' plea for not having to pay this due to the uh, pandemic and the season finishing later was not a good enough reason not to pay. Uh, Leeds said they're going to appeal, but I don't know who you appeal to after the Court of Arbitration of a Sport. Um, Liam Rossini has been named Hull coach till 2025. That's the Hull team he played for for five years. They're currently um, 21st place in the championship, one point above the relegation zone. And finally, we've been all over this for the last few weeks, the CONCACAF Cup. Um, Olympia of Honduras beat Alajuense of Costa Rica so the Honduran um, domination of uh, CONCACAF football continues Jesse you remember that there were uh, in the CONCACAF Cup semi-finals three of the teams were, um, were Honduran uh, they beat uh, their Costa Rican counterparts uh, 5-4 in aggregate it was 2-2 on the night uh, 5-4 in aggregate it was the 18th minute uh, Gabriel Araujo uh, equaliser for Olympia that gave them the aggregate win I mean, as an American, are you worried about the rise of um, the sort of dominance of Honduran club football in um, I think about it all the time. It's, it's the only thing I'm worried about as an American. Is it? Yeah. Yeah. Oh. We have elections on Tuesday, but I'm like, meh, who cares? It's really the rise of Central American football dominance that could affect the stability of our nation. Well, what if one of the candidates came out and said he would stand up for Americans in CONCACAF against the... Honduran upstarts. Wow, wow! He should. You know what? That yes. They'd get your vote, would they? <laughs> they would. <laughs> uh, they should probably do that. Well, there you go. There's a tester. Imagine if one of them listens to this and sort of last minute says that. Is can we can we get this podcast out by uh, you know by when the polls open Tuesday morning? Well, we'll have to ask uh, at Ross Bell nineteen eighty four underscore underscore and at the Ryan Goodman. Great. We'll do that. What happened? This is a test. <laughs> Who listens to the podcast? <laughs> yes, that's true. Uh, right, okay, so into the Premier League coming this weekend. It is Leeds versus Bournemouth at 3 o'clock. Um, really, no 12.30 game. Um, Bournemouth have got Neto injured uh, and Lewis Sinestra is out for Leeds. Leeds won their first game in eight last weekend against Liverpool. Um, three straight losses for Bournemouth and Gary O'Neill after he had that sort of fairly good start. They conceded 28 goals uh, at Bournemouth. Admittedly, nine of them are against Liverpool. Um, that's the worst for the Premier League and the only wins in the Premier League for Bournemouth this season against the bottom five. Um, Jared, how do you see this one going? A rejuvenated Leeds team at home. 
Yeah, I'd, 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 I'd favour Leeds in this, especially with the, the home advantage. And we've just, you know, Bournemouth, Bournemouth have, have struggled a bit, but then so have... And I'd say just because of Leeds' most recent win, mm. um, you, you, you'd probably see them getting a win here. Okay, um, Andy, apparently a couple of weeks ago, I was listening to, well, I was listening to a podcast this week, and it was talking about Leeds' last home game. Um, or a game where, no, it was a game where Leeds got a win, I think it was, a few weeks ago. Uh, players came onto the pitch after the game and got applauded by all the fans at Ellen Road. Jesse Marsh came onto the pitch and got booed by all the fans at Ellen Road. Um, <laughs> is he done for simply because he's the guy that came in after Marcelo Bielsa and he's not Marcelo Bielsa, or is he a bad coach? I don't think Jesse Marsh is a bad coach. Um, I think he's he's proven he's he's decent at a certain level. I you and I I think both agreed in the kind of season preview uh, podcast that we thought Leeds would probably end up okay this season, and hmm. um, that Jesse Marsh would instill maybe a bit of control into the way Leeds play and so on. I, I do think ultimately when he leaves he will be seen as not Bielsa um, but I, I hate saying this because I love Marcelo Bielsa but I mean not being Marcelo Bielsa will probably keep Leeds in the Premier League yeah um, Bielsa for for as, as great as his teams are going forward they were they were an absolute mess at the back Um so yeah, I feel a bit sorry for Jesse Marsh. It's always difficult to follow a beloved manager, but yeah, I think ultimately the fact that the Leeds fans just aren't quite on board with him probably leads to him, you know, not being in that job um, beyond the end of this season. I would imagine. Yeah, Jesse, stick up for your fellow American. God, um, <laughs> you know, no, I don't, honestly like he was at he was at. Uh, Red Bull. Yeah. Here in New York Your team. Yeah, my my team. Um, and and he was really good. And I think that like, I almost think that there should be um, such thing as like an interim manager, um, especially like for for situations like this, where when you have a really beloved or very sick, you know, in in either Marcelo Bielsa or you know, Fergie Wenger cases where mm. you just need somebody to come in and like manage for a year um, and then go. <laughs> like, you know, they're not going to win the hearts and minds, but you need them to set to like palate cleanse so that the fans can move on. Yeah, fair enough. Um, uh, come. Yeah. No, sorry. I thought, I thought it was a full stop. It was a comma. Go on, Karen. I was. No, it was. A, it was <laughs> The um was the full stop. Oh, sorry. <laughs> uh, well, talk to me about Manchester City versus Fulham then at three o'clock. Um, Akanji is back. Erling Haaland is possible. Um, fingers crossed for all your fantasy Premier Leagues. Bobby Decora Reed is suspended. City have won 12, oh, the last 12 versus Fulham and scored 28 goals as well. Um, Fulham are unbeaten, though, uh, in four uh, games overall. Um, but form seems to be with Man City, doesn't it, Jesse? Yes. Even without Holland, it's rude. <laughs> just too good, aren't they? It's yeah. It's that there should be a quota. Yeah. Can anyone see Mitrovic causing City any problems this weekend, or is the home advantage going to be too much? 
Not even the uh, home advantage. When you when you could bring on Mares and I forgot that you had him. Yeah. Like, I think I, I think Fulham are going to take a point. Oh, okay. Um, I've got a funny feeling about this. So, I mean, there's there's two reasons for it. One, I think Fulham have surprised teams this season. I think there's they they have a confidence that I didn't expect them to have coming back into the the top league, especially given their kind of yo-yo nature of the last few seasons. But also, there are going to be more more players in that city team who are maybe just starting to see some of the injuries that are racking up at other clubs and worrying about their World Cup spots, maybe won't approach the game with the same amount of intensity they might have a month ago. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I've just got a funny feeling. Fulham, take it, less players in that squad going to the World Cup, going to approach that game more uh, more closely to full throttle than maybe City are. And yeah, I'd one one, I think I could see that one ending up. All right, Jared. I think I can see Fulham snatching a goal, but I, just, I think even Man City on eighty percent. I mean, they don't even look like they go full out every game anyway. So I think, I think just just the quality that they have, they they should turn over Fulham here. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Nottingham Forest versus Brentford at three o'clock. Ivan Tony is suspended, so get him at your fancy teams. Um, Brentford away so far. They've drawn three, lost three, won zero, um, and consequently, Forest have had thirty-six shots on target so far in the Premier League. That is the fewest of uh, of any teams. Um, is this last match of the day, chaps? Um, I, th- I, th- I think it it might be, but I'd, I, w- I would be interested to see whether Nottingham Forest can can get a result here with Brentford not so good away and Ivan Tony out. I think they could have a chance of getting a getting yeah. a result. Uh, Jesse and Andy, what do you reckon to this game? Yeah, same. I think Forest um, have shown signs of life in recent weeks, even if that hasn't necessarily translated into a lot of points. Brentford are not as good as they were last season. They're still they're still formidable at home, but as as you pointed out, their away record leaves something to be desired. Ivan Tony missing. Uh, Forest are going to claim three points in any game this season. This would seem as likely a candidate as any. So, yeah, Forest might nick this one. All right, Jesse. No, I agree. I also just want to point out that when you've been saying fantasy team, I've heard it as fancy team every time. <laughs> just realised what you were saying. Uh, Wolves versus Brighton, three o'clock. Sadly, no Diego Costa. He's got a three-game ban. Uh, Danny Welbeck returns. Um, Wolves last twenty matches of the Premier League. They've won two, drawn six, lost twelve. Um, and they haven't scored more than once in the league this season. Leandro Trossard has got six goals in seven games. Um, I can see Brighton winning this one after their sort of good run of form that's, that's, that started last week with, their, with that win and Trossard in that sort of form. Uh, anyone see anything different than a Brighton win? No, I think I think, think about a Brighton win, but for all the, the Portuguese fans, they'll want Wolves to not, not get any, any injuries. Yes. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Jesse? Yeah, I mean, I, I always, you know, I'm a huge Brighton fan. Um, <laughs> but I also really love that Costa came in and just Costa right away. Yep, definitely. Andy? 
Yeah, I mean, firstly, yeah, I mean, I know that we should be looking down on, you know, Costa for the headbutt and so on, but I mean, that's who he is. I fucking loved it. I, <laughs> I, I love I love seeing that crazy motherfucker back in the league, honestly. Um, but it's, it's difficult to see past Brighton. They, they, they seem to have overcome a slightly sticky patch. Um, Wolves just really seem lacking in, in inspiration at the moment. Um, yeah, Brighton should just about have enough to nick this one. If the footballing gods willed it, at Rangers, would you like to see a front three of Alfredo Morelis, El Hajjuf and uh, Diego Costa? No. Um, <laughs> take El Hajjuf out of that equation and replace it with almost literally anybody else. I might think about it, but El Hajjuf is an oh, arsehole. I, I know, but I was trying to think of sort of crazy I'm trying players. To think, yeah. Um... They'd never play as a front three because all of them would always have one in suspended. <laughs> that's true. They'd never. That's, yeah, that's true. Yeah, we'll 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 rotate them in and out depending <laughs> on suspensions. Fair enough. Uh, Everton versus Leicester at half past five. Um, Leicester won two out of their last sixteen at Everton, but they have scored in each of the last twelve matches. Um, and having conceded twenty-two goals in seven league games, Leicester have only conceded three in their last six. Um, Everton, however, have got clean sheets in three of their last four at home. So, uh, both teams doing pretty well defensively here. Um, how do you think this one's going to go, Andy? So, yeah, I mean, I think maybe the last time I was on the podcast, we, we talked about the fact that Leicester's problems weren't necessarily with the quality of their squad. That on their day, they were maybe a top eight, top ten team in the league. Yeah, and I think they've started to prove that recently. Brendan Rodgers seems to have got out his huff uh, a wee bit over not being given any money. Uh, they've knuckled down and, and got on with the job, but yeah, again, I th- I'd barely even need to talk about how much I hate Frank Lampard now, but he is doing <laughs> a, a pretty reasonable job for a, for a club that was in real disarray uh, towards the end of last season, so uh, Goodison's still one of the best atmospheres in the Premier League. Uh, I think that might just take them over the line with this one. Okay. Uh, Jared and Jesse, what do you reckon? I think um, I think it'd be I think it'd be a draw, but maybe like a one all two all sort of draw because I think Leicester Leicester have got quality and they're starting to score again. But then at the same time at the at the back I think Everton might be able to hurt them, so yeah, I think I think it'll be a draw. All right, Jesse. I keep agreeing with them, but it's just because they're very smart. <laughs> well, are they very smart to agree with you? Is that why? <laughs> I mean, you said that. I did not phrase it that way. <laughs> uh, Sunday, uh, 12 o'clock, high noon, is Chelsea versus Arsenal. Right. Gabriel Jesus, like Harry Kane, is on um, four yellow cards. So a fifth card this weekend means they're suspended from next weekend's Premier League games, giving them an extra week's rest because this is the penultimate round of Premier League games for the break of the World Cup. Next week is the final round. Um, if you were Gabriel Jesus or Harry Kane, would you be tempted to get yourself a yellow card to get yourself an extra week's break? Like Kevin Nolan used to do with Christmas. Uh, Conte seems to me as a manager who likes indulging in the dark arts from time to time so I would imagine he wouldn't be terribly devastated if Harry Kane did that Yeah, Jesus, I don't know Jesus, I mean I get the impression that most of his bookings are literally just because he's playing, doing his job which is playing as a pressing forward 
Um, so I, I imagine he might be slightly less inclined to get the yellow card. Harry Kane, I think, might you might see him get a book in like in the eighty fifth minute or something. What would you guys do? Uh, I'm not. Sure. I don't know whether they they might wait until not this game week, but or or try and get it so that after the internet like they get an extended international break at the end. Uh, okay. So then depending on how far they get, they might then get get a little bit of a rest instead of beforehand. Hmm. Yes, that's interesting, because they come back and they play on Boxing Day, don't they? Yeah, so then you might be able to also like reduce your injury chances because you'll have had a massive load then. Yeah, no, that's interesting. Um, well, going back to this game, Ben Chilwell's out, uh, Kovacic is back, uh, Saka is available, Celtic legend Kian Tini, who scored a rather nice goal in the uh, Europa League this week, he's a doubt. Um, Arsenal have won their last two at Chelsea and won three out of their last four meetings in total. Um, Arsenal winning 10 out of their first 12 games. Only Newcastle in 95-96 have got an identical record and didn't go on to win the league. Uh, will Arsenal be repeating history come May, Jesse? Because if they do, they will not win the league, correct? Yes. That's what I'm saying? Okay. Yes. Yes, they will. <laughs> This is like one of those, you know, every answer is true, except I just had to make sure I wasn't double negativing. Um, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if they if they screwed up somewhere and didn't win the league by like one point or goal differentials or some ridiculous situation. It's Arsenal. Yeah. It's Arteta's Arsenal. Yes, it is. Uh, Jared? Um, I think it could be a close title race, but it, it, I think it also depends on how far each team gets in Europe and how um, the the World Cup goes. So I'd, I'd I'd say Man City now, but it might be different after the after Christmas. Okay, Andy. Uh City have Erling Haaland. They're going to win the league. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Arsenal will, I think, push them close. I, I'm fairly confident Arsenal are going to finish the season in second. Um, I think they'll win on Sunday, but. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but as long as you've got Kevin De Bruyne assisting Erling Haaland, you're you're going to win the league, as far and as I'm Alan concerned. He's not playing in the World Cup, so you've got a very well rested. Yeah, um, exactly. Uh, so you would imagine he's going to come straight out of the traps uh, once the World Cup's finished again. Um, yeah, City, City are going to win the league, but. I mean, anything is an improvement on on Arsenal's previous season, so I'll I'll take second in a heartbeat. Okay, uh, Aston Villa versus Manchester United at two o'clock. Emi Martinez looks to be back, um, and Bruno Fernandes is suspended for United. Villa's last twenty-three games at home to Manchester United, they have uh, drawn eight, lost fifteen, and won zero, um, and they've conceded ninety-nine Premier League goals against. Uh, against Manchester United as well. This is Emery's That's first game. shocking because Villa are so good. <laughs> <laughs> Normally. So, wow. What a surprising statistic. Yeah. Emery's first game, everybody. Is it going to get off to a winning start? I, I don't think it will get off to a winning start in this game. United are in decent form, if not outstanding. Uh, I, I think it was important that Villa got the right man in. I think Emery is the right man. I think he will turn them around. Um, 
but it's difficult not to look at that squad as the moment as the same squad that got Steven Gerrard sacked. Well, I mean, he also got himself sacked, but you know what I mean. Mm. Um, so, yeah, United will win this game, but Villa will be fine for the rest of the season. All right, Jaron, Jesse? Uh, I think Villa might be slightly harder to break down with than maybe becoming a bit more a defensive side, and that'll be one of the first things you'd work on. But I, I think with you know the quality United have going forward, I think they should be able to get, get a win here. Okay. Uh, next one is Southampton versus Newcastle. Two o'clock. Joel Linton is suspended. Alan San Maximo is available again. Um, Newcastle are unbeaten in eight and have won their last three at Southampton. Um, Southampton's last 25 Premier League games, they've won just four. They've drawn five and lost 16. I think this is going to be uh, uh, an Eddie Howe win as he heads back to the South Coast. Yeah, you're you're right. Uh, they've they they seem to have taken the brakes off somewhat in the last few weeks. Uh, Miggy Almiron is is in outstanding form. Um, I'm personally very happy for him because he had such a tough time at last season. Um, so to see him kind of firing on on all cylinders, I'm very happy. And and Southampton are just they're they're abject at the moment unfortunately and I don't see a, a, an immediate turnaround for that so yeah Newcastle for this one okay anybody else yeah yeah new, I, I can't see Newcastle losing this one yeah Jesse yeah as much as I wouldn't mind if they did yeah I can't see it either no fair enough uh West Ham versus Crystal Palace Lucas Paqueta could be available um Fabianski is available as well. Uh, West Ham's last four versus Palace. They've won two, drawn two. Disappointingly for Palace away from home, um, their last three away, they've had 37 shots and zero goals. Um, and away from home, Wilfred Zaha has got no goals or assists this season. Jared, that's going to hurt them, isn't it? Yeah, it's usually their, their talisman. So, I mean, it's, it, it, it's not great, that, that stat. But then maybe, you know, he's it's going to be coming in this game so you don't know yeah um jesse um i mean i think saha brings more than goals but yeah but but the problem with that is that they don't have anybody else who does um so yeah i don't see them being very successful without him delivering hmm. yeah and uh, what about you andy what do you think yeah, I think West Ham will win this one. I, I think the one criticism you could have of Palace under Vieira is their away form. It's not great. Uh, not just this season, but last season as well. West Ham, another team like Leicester, who seem to have turned the corner from a, a rough start um, and playing in front of their, their home fans, I think they'll they'll get the result here. Yeah, OK. And then we move on to the final game of the weekend, Spurs versus Liverpool at half past four. Uh, ah, ah. It is, it is. Uh, no son, no Richarlison, no Kulazewski, and Lucas Moore is a doubt, probably cried himself silly after the election result this week. Um, <laughs> no James Milner for Liverpool. Harry Kane could be the first Spurs player to score in six successive home league games for Spurs um, since uh, 1971. So, shiver me shivers, me hearties. Um, Jesse, quickly before you go, what do you reckon? Yep. Um, okay, honestly... 
as much as I would love to win, here's what I need. Because apparently Betancourt is going to be back. And, like, this is shit timing. Don't get hurt. Also, Darwin Nunez. Holy fucking shitballs. The last match before the Mundial? Ugh. Don't get hurt. <laughs> so, like, protective bubble over the stadium. But also, I really want to see. This is, like, the most Brazilian fascists on one pitch at a time. <laughs> but I'd love to see them cry a thousand million percent. Um, I think you guys are going to win. I think it's going to be gritty. I think there's probably going to be like a bunch of cards. Um, but without Sun, it's a huge blow. And Henry Charlison, I just, we are not at full strength. Mm. And we, ugh, Conte still has not like designed a an effective <laughs> plan B side for us that is good for our players okay right and with that we shall let you go thank you i miss so much. you guys i'll see you next week when we have time difference if i still have a country after the election <laughs> good luck cheerio um yeah. right well so we could talk about this because uh spurs um the last one against liverpool was october 2017 however in spurs's favor um they've won 10 points from losing positions this season we've seen their performances in the champions league as well this week um liverpool have dropped 20 points in their premier league games so far they only dropped sorry um sorry they dropped 20 points in 12 premier league games so far excuse me uh, they only dropped 14 in total last season um and they've actually got more champions league wins than premier league wins this season so Form guide really isn't with Liverpool, although, as with everything to do with Liverpool, history is uh, their um, closest friend. Um, Jared, what do you reckon to this one? I think I think it'd be a diff- difficult one for the the sides because both of them will want to end on on a decent result. Well, there's still two oh. more fixtures to go. There's still the EFL Cup plus games next week. Yeah, but I, just in terms of like they, but this is like the the last big club i think both of them play okay so when you when you look back at you know their big results probably be the one that people will point at for the next form sort of guide like this and i think like we're already saying players will be torn of you know that in the back of the heads they will have the the world cup especially um you know both both sides have a lot of players playing in that but and then at the same time both of them could really do with getting the three points in the league and their managers will will obviously want them to prioritize this mm. um especially because this this could be a, a big decider in the top four later on in the season um in terms of that i th- i think it, it's, it's really hard to call but i think liverpool might be able to, to get a win here I, th- I think just in terms of the fact that they're they, they they sort of need to turn it around a bit more. I think that will sort of spare them spare them on as you as, as you like. Yeah, Andy. Uh, I think this one probably ends up a draw. Uh, <coughs> I think that again, this just points back to to something uh, I mentioned a few weeks back, and that there, there are some scary parallels if I'm a Liverpool fan take Klopp's last season at Dortmund Mm. um, where it kind of felt like other teams in the league figured them out a little bit it didn't replace key players I I think they still clearly haven't uh, found a system that allows them to effectively replace Mane Mm. 
Uh, although I do think that is also partly down to injuries. That the Liverpool's injury list has been horrendous at various points this season. Um, but I just don't get the impression that they, I, I don't have faith in Liverpool putting together a really good run at the moment. They'll have good performances, beating Napoli during the week, for example. But that, in a way, kind of gives me more concern that they won't be able to follow that up this week. But having said that, Spurs are also missing some players and they're also similarly inconsistent. As, as Jesse said, Conte seems to be struggling to focus on one system, which is kind of what he's known for being, a systems guy. Um, yeah, I'm going to go for a draw just because I don't have a huge amount of faith in either team to, to kind of put the foot on the throat. Yeah, you've, unfortunately, I keep thinking about his last season at Dortmund as well. So it's um, it's something that's uh, it's very much in my mind as well. Um, I think there's there's definitely some parallels there. Sadly. On that though, I sort of feel like there's becoming a thing of teams sticking with their managers a bit more at the moment. Okay, I think because maybe the market there's not so many managers out there who are, are looking to move on. But I sort of get the feeling that at the top top side of the game a lot of managers are sort of being given a chance especially in the Premier League if they've sort of built something already and proven they can I think teams are starting to stick with them yeah you're right I think Klopp has definitely earned the right to go on his own terms should he decide to I don't I'm, I definitely wouldn't be part of any sort of Klopp out hashtag um, I wouldn't ever sort of be part of that and I think the other thing with that as well is be careful what you wish for because like you say who are you going to get to replace him because yeah you're, you're only going to go down from him aren't you and i think he's shown that he can rebuild a side and you know I, I think maybe there could be some behind the scenes with him saying look we you may not you're going to have maybe an off season um and just to just to see where the squad's at and then you can rebuild from there yeah because there's a lot of players getting older at the same time isn't there yeah and it's 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 obviously about balancing the books and they've they've done well at that for the last couple of seasons like not always spending loads on players so i think i think they've got the the opportunity now to address where they are and go forward from it yeah fair enough right guys that brings us to the end of our premier league roundup end of our podcast anyone got any business at all um just just the one thing i don't know whether any of you saw the roma ludigretz game no and the the red card decision in it no, go on, talk us through. No. So this is this is in the Europa League, so it's a, a bit past the section. But um, so Roman Roman needed to beat Ludogorets, and they just Ludogorets just needed a draw. Um, and it, it was uh, Ludogorets took the lead, and then Roman equalised um, through two penalties. But then Ludogorets scored, and it was disallowed for a red card, which the ref hadn't picked up at all, wasn't even given as a foul, um, and basically. Um, the Ludogorets player put his hand back when he was running and tapped the side of um, Ibanez maybe for um, Roma side of his face it, not for if you look at him in real time you wouldn't even think there's um, any any real force behind it and he goes down and I, I was watching it live and so, same with the commentators they said too soft it's it's not going to be given the ref, like I said the ref didn't give anything or even about an eyelid to it hmm Set in that sequence, Ludogorets score, and no, there's no VAR talk about VAR for four minutes, and Ibanez at this point still down. Obviously, 
I mean, Jose Mourinho is very good at this, but his sides are very good at getting forcing the hand of the VAR and the time. And um, it ended up going to VAR after four minutes. The ref goes over, sees two slow mos of it, the hand hitting the player's face, and when you watch on that, it looks forceful and you know mm. without the full context, it looks um, like like a foul. But so then they, and then obviously at this point you don't think they're going to overturn it because of it in real time, and they go back and give it as a, a free kick, book the player as well when it was no never a yellow card. And um, so Ludogorets, uh, that could have been a big decider in their Europa League um, chances in the, the Europa League playoffs. And then after that, then there was a contentious red card for Ludogorets, which was given, and the player wasn't looking at the ball. Dragged, he did drag down a Roma player, and but then accidentally, as, as bad as it sounds, accidentally stood on his neck. But he tried to avoid him when he's falling and didn't look at him once. Mm. Um, so I think. If you got a chance, have a look at those two decisions because they are very, um, very contentious, and obviously they make a big difference in a club's m- money and their chances of um, staying in these sort of competitions. No, right, no, definitely, we'll go check that one out. Um, right, okay, Andy, got um, anything at all? No, I was just going to back up and say that that again is is kind of I think what the main problem with VAR is is that to to a large extent VAR is still very dependent on a human decision, mm. and even looking at replays. So that just very quickly, when Rangers played Dortmund last season in the Europa League, in the second leg, um, we had the chance to score to go three two up, which would have put it up seven four in aggregate. So in the grand scheme of things, it, it wouldn't have mattered, but. Uh, the referee was shown uh, like three different angles for a supposed foul by Alfredo Morelos and there was a fourth angle that showed that it clearly wasn't a foul that the Dortmund player had kicked the ground and went over but the referee was never shown that angle Mm -hmm. which was bizarre and it's like again you know at some point I think we're probably going to have to look at VAR not necessarily for that kind of decision, but like offside decisions, I think at some point are probably going to have to go to AI and, and take those out of human hands altogether because they're still quite contentious. And then that allows referees to kind of concentrate on some of the, the more, the real contentious ones. But yeah, that VAR, people who think or who thought that VAR was going to be the, the cure to all ailments is... is that was never going to be the case because it still ultimately relies on human input. Okay. I would love a VAR debate with you at some point or a VAR podcast with you at some point because I'm, <laughs> I'm quite pro-VAR. So I um, I love this sort of thing, but not unfortunately an hour and a half into a podcast, I'm afraid. Um, so we are Man of the Post, part of the Man of the Post network. We I will have... Um, Dave and Ali and Simon and Carl back on Monday to review the games that we've been previewing. You can find us at Man on the Post on uh, Twitter, at Man on the Post on Instagram. You can give us a like on Facebook as well. Uh, if you like what you hear, you can um, subscribe and download to our um, to ourselves on uh, Spotify and Apple Podcasts and any one of your other uh, podcast apps out there. And all your future episodes will fall automatically into your inbox. Jared, if they want to follow you on Twitter, how do they do that? Uh, at Gazenda SA, so that's G U Z E N D A. Okay, Andy, if they want to do that, how do they follow you? 
Uh, they can follow me at Saint Tyson. Marvellous. Uh, guys, thank you ever so much. Thank you. Thank you. And always remember to keep your man on the post. Thank you.